is the Working Drummer Podcast. Working Drummer Podcast. Featuring ground-level pros from all styles and regions. Real drummers with real stories about making a living in music. Hey everyone, I'm Zach Albetta and welcome to Working Drummer Podcast. My guest today is Chris Brady of Aquarian Drumheads. Chris has been in charge of artist relations at Aquarian for 23 years and also has a hand in sales, marketing, and product development. He started out as a working drummer in Southern California, idolizing Vinny and Porcaro, playing in top 40 bands, teaching, and working at music stores. He got interested in the product side of the music business and was handpicked to join the Aquarian team by founder Roy Burns. We're doing a giveaway with this episode. It's, you guessed it, a full set of Aquarian drum heads. To be entered to win, go to Facebook and Instagram, share Working Drummer Podcast's posts for this episode, and tag us so we know who you are. Including a good word about the podcast and encouraging your friends to check us out certainly wouldn't hurt your chances either. The prize is a full set of heads for up to a six-piece kit, sizes and models of your choosing, and we'll select a winner next Thursday, February 27th. If you want to help support what we do here at Working Drummer Podcast, we invite you to become a patron. Go to patreon.com slash working drummer, and a donation in any amount gets you access to exclusive video content from our former guests. We're adding to it regularly, and as little as $1 a month gets you access to all of it. Our newest content is up now. Matt and I recently led a masterclass on a few of the major themes that run through just about all of the interviews we've done, and our Patreon members now have exclusive access to a video of it produced by our good friend Mike Jackson. Once again, that's patreon.com slash working drummer. Also follow us on Facebook and Instagram and feel free to contact us on those platforms as well as through our homepage at workingdrummer.net. Speaking of contacting us, we got a great message from Joshua Van Ness recently that I wanted to share. Joshua says, I'm such a fan of the podcast. When I started listening, I only expected to hear a lot about technique and chops. I love your podcast because I learn about life with every episode. Picked up a few drum hacks along the way, too. You actually don't even have to be a drummer to enjoy your podcast. Keep up the great work. Sincerely, Joshua. Joshua, thank you so much for that, man. We pride ourselves on covering the full spectrum of life in the music business. This is a podcast for pro drummers by pro drummers, so glad to hear that's resonating with you. The last little bit of news here is that Working Drummer Podcast is now available on Spotify, so give us a follow there if Spotify is your listening platform of choice. So I had a great talk with Chris. I think you'll hear why he seems to be universally liked and respected in his industry. He's always positive, always helpful, and extremely knowledgeable, not just about his products, but about the music industry in general. So let's get to it with Chris Brady. How did Nam treat you? Are we actually doing this now? This is just us bantering pre. We've been, <laughs> we've been recording the whole time. Oh, you're, oh, oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I thought there was going to be an official. Hey, welcome to the. No, I'll I do that in post, man. I, oh, I okay. take I take multiple shots. You know, multiple. Well, maybe takes. maybe we don't jump in on this part. I thought we were just catching up. So now, <laughs> that, now, going forward from here, now I know we're live. I'll. I'll <laughs> no, you're good. We'll do it live. You read it. <laughs> I'll write it. And. <laughs> Oh man. Um, so how, how did Nam treat you? Nam was really, really cool. Um, I've managed the last few years to avoid 
getting sick, but this year a bunch of us got anthrax, <laughs> and it just won't go away. It's oh, it's no. a it's a particularly virulent strain of the thrax, and so we've been on you know antibiotics and whatnot, and and that's helped. But but the show itself was cool. We had a uh, a great response. We had some new. Uh, one new product, and then we really kind of um, did a an about face with the graphics and and um, the overall look of the booth, and people seemed to really really enjoy that. We, we I mean, I had a few manufacturers come up and talk to me and just kind of say, "Man, you guys, you guys get it. You know, this is the music industry, and things should be popping and mm-hmm. humming, and there should be." You know, color and graphics, and, and and they pointed out, so look at all these booths. They're gray, black, <laughs> right, white, right. just solid colors. And, and we really, we took some of our artists and kind of characterized them. And it, where it almost become became more of like a street mural. Oh, cool. A lot with a lot of color. Right. And uh, so it was, it was good. You know, it so, was very, very busy. For I'm us. sure it all. Yeah, it always is. It seems busier and busier every year. I mean, I haven't been in a few years, but uh, it. Yeah, it just seems like a zoo. Yeah, it's it's. You know, you've been enough. You know what it's like. Yeah. It's yeah. weird because once you, once you're into that first hour or two, it's one of those things where you kind of look around you, and it seems like you never left. <laughs> right. It just like kind of morphs in from the previous year, and it just becomes like one long, long thing. But uh, you know, well, and it, I it, yeah, go ahead. For for you especially, I would imagine it feels that way because you spend you know most of your days dealing with uh you know marketing and artists and uh you know ev- everything that Nam is a concentration of um is is kind of your your day to day existence, right? Very, very true, and it becomes uh, it becomes uh, exponential at now, I guess. Right, <laughs> right. So it's instead of uh, little bits and pieces of that that might occur throughout the week or the day, it just becomes magnified at now. It's overload, you know. Yeah, uh, yeah. Tons of people, you know. Uh, a lot of you know uh, noise. A lot of kissing hands and shaking babies. No, <laughs> um, but you know, yeah, you're just meeting tons and tons of people, and uh, you know, and then you find out there's the coronavirus, and you're like, great, perfect. This isn't the perfect breeding ground for that, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Ten thousand people in a room together. That, yeah, yeah, from all over the world. No, that's not, <laughs> what, could, what could go wrong. <laughs> but no, it's good, and we're still. Still recovering. I mean, it's just tons of work. You know, when you get back, it's the the uh, the debriefing and the decompressing and getting everything put away and cleaned up and the follow up and and of course as artist relations, you're just bombarded with endorsement requests. You know, right? Uh, which is right. fine, but it's it's just there's there's no rest for the wicked. Sure, sure. You know, you'll, you'll tell people. Hey, give me maybe give me a week or two before you hit me up. And usually, you know, that Monday or Tuesday. Hey, Chris, I met you at Nam on Sunday. Yeah. Ah, oh, boy. Okay. <laughs> they can't wait. 
They can't, can't wait. wait. Yeah. I'm sure I've been I've been guilty of that or something like that. Uh, I you know. do. <laughs> a little um, green so, Alberta makes the podcast better. <laughs> for for those of you who don't know the reference, listen to Frank Zappa's Joe's Garage and and you'll get <laughs> I think it was the green. last track on yeah, yeah. the second album exactly. or second disc or whatever. Right, right. Um Cool. So, yeah, I wanted to ask you about your perspective on the endorsement thing. I mean, first, as it pertains to NAM, how many times in your, you know, position uh, have endorsements uh, been the result of someone approaching you at NAM? I could be quite a few because, you know, a lot of things come through um, other artists. Mm-hmm. And so recommendations from an artist that you know, that you like, that's in good standing, that goes a long way. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think we picked up a couple of great guys uh, from you, like uh, Matthew, I think we got from you. Matthew Crowley, yeah. your partner. Yeah, exactly. And so we get a lot of artists via personal recommendations. Uh, and that does hold a lot of weight. Like, like I said, if you're already an artist on board and the relationship's strong and somebody comes and say, hey, this is... This is be a good, you know, candidate to become part of the family. And this is a good person to work with. And they're solid. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of times that's good enough for me. And that does happen at NAM. Oh, yeah. Tons. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what about uh, people just sort of cold calling you or cold emailing you or cold approaching you? You know, what's weird. Obviously, I, I don't really get a lot of calls anymore because I think. You know, I have two daughters, and they're sort of 19, 21-ish, and nobody calls anymore. Right. So everything's a text or an email or right. WhatsApp or something. So oddly enough, I the calls have really reduced over the years, um, and it's just more texts or, you know, just emails. But I would say even that's not as frequent as it used to be. Mm-hmm. And the, the, your main criterion for, you know, taking on a new endorser, like you said, is, is kind of the, the recommendation of someone that you already know and like, and trust. That sounds like something that hasn't changed for decades, um, in terms of your position and endorsements. Um, but what, what are some of the criteria that have changed, um, in, in recent years, as far as who you're considering and what you consider when you're taking on a new artist? Well, I mean, the bottom line is digital age or not, mm-hmm. everything is still relationship driven. And so those recommendations and things like that are all based on personal human to human interaction relationships, not cold digital, you know, uh, interaction. Um, so like you said, that that's sort of uh, timeless. Mm-hmm. Uh, that never goes away. Uh, and the criterion is, is, I'm you know really really changed. I think uh, I've been doing this about 23 years, and there's other people in the industry that go farther back. You know what a lot of people would call the heyday in the 80s when things were really jumping. Right. The economy was great. Companies had huge budgets, and you know things were just kind of exploding. It was a good good time, and. And, you know, guys like John DeChristopher, who used to be at Zildjian, he was more in that era. And um, 
you know, those those were those were different times as far as criteria because obviously there's no internet and um, it was the old days. So what band are you? I mean, this could have even been pre-MTV craze. You right. know, what band are you in? What's your record label? What, who's your management? Mm-hmm. How many records have you sold? And then MTV came in, and it wasn't necessarily, you know, how many records you sold. It was more like, you know, are you the number one video? How many videos do you have? And MTV was probably sort of the precursor to the Internet, right? It was, it was a little um, uh, look into the future of what things would be as far as everything going digital. And then, uh, you know, the Internet hits. And that really has changed everything as far as criteria for endorsements, as far as the way business is done. You know, Amazon, get anything you want that you can conceive of and have it, you know, sometimes same day or next day. Mm -hmm. And, you know, excuse me. I may unfortunately cough a little bit. (laughs) The the Namthrax. It just won't go away. Um, (laughs) But it's that whole, I I want it, you know, I can get it now. I want it now. And then that's sort of spilled into everybody's psyche, especially, like I said, younger people who grow up with the cell phone in their hand. You know, you and I didn't grow up with the cell phone in your hand. Right. You know, Um, at least a smartphone anyway. Right. And uh, but everybody, a lot of people have, and, and that's all they know. Mm-hmm. Everything's instantaneous. And so that's changed the way that you look at an artist because going back to what I said previous, in the old days, it would be there was that sort of standard criteria of what band are you with? Who's your record label? How many gold records, platinum? Are you on MTV? And going even farther back, you know, to Roy Burns' era and his, you know, uh, time in the industry playing, it was even probably more stringent in that you really had to be a very, very, considered to be a very high-level player. And you had to be in a high-level group. Right. This is even for rock and roll. So you had to be a Buddy Rich playing with the Dorsey brothers or, you know, you had to be a, a you know, a Gene Krupa with Benny right. Goodman. Those, a, those a two, Ringo star. Yeah. But even before that, right. Right. You know what I mean? you had to, you know, because the musicianship level back then that would music was the popular top 40 music of the day, the big band era, but that also was required uh, a pretty high skill level to pull off. Yeah. You know, uh, we've a lot. Many of us have dabbled playing in big bands, and that's no small feat, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Making it swing, hitting the figures, <clears throat> excuse me, all that stuff is very difficult. So anyway, those two things kind of went were synonymous: high level player, high level group. And then over the years, you know, and I, I I'm not hopefully speaking out of turn or poorly. I'm not going to single anything out in particular, but that kind of went away, meaning, you know, maybe it wasn't, it could have been a very popular group, but maybe not high level musicianship. Right. right. Uh, and that's neither here nor there. It's just an observation, you know, and, or 
maybe the drummer was just not a Gene Krupa or an Elvin or a Tony or Buddy Rich. They were just g- good. Mm-hmm. But not right. the pantheons of the greats, right? Right. But still making great music and relevant and popular. And and so you sort of had to change the way you looked at things. And then, of course, now that we're in the internet, you know, social media age, that really changes everything. And that, you know, for many drummers out there, especially younger, younger drummers, their goal could possibly not even involve having a career in music that you and I would think, meaning getting in a band, doing sessions. Right. It, it might not involve leaving their house. Yes, the, you're, that's exactly it. The, their <laughs> whole goal might be able, might be to just be on Instagram and crushing it on YouTube with great quality content. And right. that's as far, and they're happy, and that's as far as they want to go with it. And mm-hmm. we're at that age that that is the mindset for, you know, I, I would think for some drummers. And, it, you know, you're younger than I am, but maybe your age and especially for maybe people my age or older, that's could be a hard concept to wrap your head around. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because we grew up, we wanted to be in a band. Right. We wanted to play with great musicians. So, like, if you were a fusion guy, your, your goal might be, gee... I'd love to be in, you know, Mahavishnu Orchestra or Steps Ahead or Weather Report or something like that. You know, gee, I'd love to right. play with Brecker and, you know, Michael Brecker or something. Or if you were a bebop guy, maybe, you know, gee, I'd love to be in Winton's band or, you know, you know, like be like Bill Stewart and play with Schofield and yeah. or whatever it might be. Um, but I think a lot of younger people, that may not be the goal. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. You, you know, you have to sort of embrace it now. Right. It's just a different paradigm. Like they, you know, young, young people now see people slightly older than them who are making careers like out of their bedroom, <laughs> you know, just yeah. creating content. And, and, you know, if that's, you know, one of the, one of the prevalent models for how to make a living in music, that's what young people are going to try to do. So an, a company like Aquarian has to adapt and figure out a way to, to stay relevant and still get their gear in front of eyeballs. That's what, that's always been that. It's yeah. just the way we do it now um, is digitally. And, you know, there's the term influencer, and, that, and maybe that could be a little gross, but drummers have to remember there's always been influencers. Yeah. I mean, if it was the 80s, and you saw your favorite, you know, hero on the cover of Modern Drummer. I mean, I bought my first real drum set was a graduation gift. It was a 1983 Yamaha Recording Custom. And I bought it specifically because I was a Vinnie Kaliuta fanatic. And that right. issue came out with him on the cover. And inside he was playing a red. He had a, a red and canary yellow like Tony Williams. Yeah. Recording custom. And I didn't. What did I know? All I knew was everybody at that time was playing Yamaha. Vinny, Gad, Weckl, P- Erskine, John Robinson, Murata, right. Alex Acuna. I mean, all the dudes that we would have liked in that era. And But that's influencing. I bought that kit because of them. So, yeah, there's no internet, but there was still influences. It was just done via clinics and, you know, 
magazines. This is interesting. This is something I wanted to talk about with you because like the way you talk about drums, I, I think you have a somewhat unique perspective among the people who do what you do for a living for the various companies more, maybe more than any other, um, artist relations guy that I know or, or have dealt with. You are such a fan of drummers and drumming. And I think everybody is who's in your business. Oh, for but, sure. Yeah. But with, with you, there is just always this like childlike excitement and fascination. <laughs> just hearing you talk about, you know, your first recording custom and Vinny and 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 all that. Like you've you've maintained this um, you know, this this wonder and just fascination for for drummers and drumming over the years. Well, that's one of the benefits of live growing up in California. And unfortunately, there's not as many clubs as there used to be. But back in the day, well, there's still the baked potato and there's still Catalina's, but there used to be the Flying Jib and some other places at my place in Santa Monica. And I'm telling you, man, I used to go and see all the cats, all the dudes. And, and it's different. It's not the same as going to a concert where you're in a big arena or a shed, right? When you're at the baked potato and you're five or ten feet from Vinny or Jeff Picaro or Carlos Vega, you know, or you're at Catalina's and you're one table away from Tony Williams or Weckl or Gad. Yeah. And I've I've seen all those guys, all my heroes, and I'm I feel lucky, blessed because, you know, not everybody. If you're in another part of the country, those guys are just maybe not going to come through your town at all if ever and certainly not frequently i mean when when i first got into vinnie in the early 80s he was playing at the baked potato every week and i would go every week right and just right. sit there you know 10 feet from him and and having my mind just tripping out because again no internet so up to that point the only thing you ever knew about vinnie was what you heard on albums Mm-hmm. And what you see, I saw in a magazine, I didn't even know what he sounded like, his voice. <laughs> right. And then you're in a club and you hear him. And I'm telling you, even now with the digital age, seeing videos, that doesn't do it justice. Mm-hmm. When you're up close and you see a guy with the, at those, that level of, a, you know, the Jeff Picard Groove or the Vinnie Caliuta or the, any of those guys, Gad, when you're up close and you see that, Videos don't even do that justice. Records don't even do that justice. I mean, as great as Jeff Picaro sounded on records, when you were sitting a stone's throw from him in a club and you felt that energy. Yeah. It, it, I can't describe it, but you know it. You've been to plenty. Of, you've seen plenty of dudes play. You know yeah. what I'm talking about. Yeah, just feeling the air move in, in a room like that and, you know, the way they make it move um, is, you know, there's no no replacement for it. There's no replacement, and unfortunately, and this has probably affected clinics, but because everything's on the internet, that's a really cool thing, and maybe also in a way a drawback because I think a lot of drummers are, you know, would not be as hungry to go see some guy live um, because they just saw they just spent two hours going down the YouTube rabbit hole and they you know three pages deep of videos of that guy, right? And they're like, ah, no. But I would urge everybody if you have an opportunity, <clears throat> to, excuse me, to go see the greats or your heroes. Don't 
don't pass on that just because you think you've seen everything on a video because there 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 is there's something magical and i've had my almost like religious experiences seeing you know especially i was just talking to jimmy keegan was here yesterday i was talking to him and i go the first time i saw jeff and Vinny was at the baked potato and it was like a religious experience where i literally almost came unglued <laughs> i mean jeff the groove was so deep and his sound was so beautiful and Vinny, it was just all the Vinny. yeah and just yeah. all the Vinny stuff you loved and to watch physically watch oh that's how he that's how his body moves when he does it i mean there was at one point with both those guys where i literally i i thought i had to make a conscious decision chris just stay in your seat and don't jump up and start screaming. <laughs> and I'm not kidding. That's how powerful yeah. that was. Yeah. And so when you when you um, see someone like that, even even if the majority of your uh, you know consumption is uh, on online through video or YouTube or wh- whatever, you know if you if you get to see one of your heroes live one time, then every video you see after that like you flash back to that live experience because you know what it was like to be in the room with that guy yeah it's like what do they call that why do i forget what the term is something memory sense memory sense memory like you know when you touch something or you smell a certain smell it takes you back and you're right those things now so now that actually strengthens those videos right it actually it it makes those videos more powerful to watch it in your mind. It, it brings them to life in a way that they weren't before because you've seen that guy live, you know, as well, that drummer. Right, right. Um, but it's all, again, it's it's influencers, back to what we were talking about. And that's what it is in the digital age we're in now, where it could, that influencer could be that drummer that's just in a cool facility making content, and they're not necessarily playing with other musicians or on a stage or just interacting with other musicians they're just making this content but it's still valid is you know because of where we're at here with generations and stuff it's still valid as being something that people gravitate towards and are excited by and can be influenced by So you mentioned you've been doing this for 23 years, um, and you're uh, you're 37. So ah. <laughs> no. Uh, so what what was your uh, musical life like, or your drumming life um, before Aquarian and before working on the product end of things? Yeah. Well, I, just you know, really quickly, I started late. I started my junior year in high school. I played horn up until then. Always wanted to play drums and got closed down by some band directors who were like, we don't need any more drummers. Junior year, I thought, I'm, no, I'm going to play drums. I've always, this is ridiculous. So I started taking <laughs> drum lessons in between. But by the time I got to my senior year, because I couldn't get enough of it, I really wanted to do it. I had gotten to the point where I was good enough that I could make the snare line mm. and our t- and our, our instructor was a guy named charlie craig he marched vanguard and so it w- there was you know it w- wasn't a cakewalk 
This yeah. guy was in Vanguard, you know, when they were, you know, their Vanguard's still killing it. Right. Um, but, you know, they were they were crushing it back then. And so it wasn't, you know, just easy stuff we were playing. It's yeah. easier than compared to today. But you, anyway, point being, I, within a year, I had just eaten it up so much that I, I got in the snare line. And then I just started taking lessons. I had some great teachers, Bill Thomas, who, who's passed away. He got me started. And then the Wackermans family, I studied with Mr. Wackerman, who's amazing, Chuck mm-hmm. Wackerman, and took some lessons with John and a few lessons with Chad, and then met Greg Bissonette, and that really changed everything for me. And and he really, in so many ways, he's a, a, a friend, but a, a mentor still. Um, I talked to him last night, he called me, and he's just the sweetest dude, and an, obviously an amazing musician, but he really opened my eyes and helped me to come out of my shell. He would recommend me for gigs. I mean, there was one time I subbed for him on a top 40 gig. I was scared out of my mind. <laughs> and it didn't go well either. <laughs> but but he would do those things for me. So I started playing, and I never did it at a high level, you know, meaning, <clears throat> you know, sessions and playing with quote-unquote famous people or notable musicians. It was... I just played in top 40 groups and bars and we did casuals and weddings and sometimes some corporate things. Mm-hmm. And that's as far as I ever went with it. And I loved it. I never, I never wanted to uh, play. I never had an interest in being in an original band. Mm-hmm. I yeah. always wanted to get out there and get experience and make money getting experience. Right, right. And aside from that, like going going back to your enthusiasm, you you have such an enthusiasm for like pop music and rock music. You know, I I can't I can't imagine a new original song by a singer songwriter, uh, you know, lighting you up half as bright as Rosanna. <laughs> you know. Well, yeah, and no, and that's all good stuff. You know, I don't want to seem like I'm, uh, you know, against that wherever your path leads you is fine. And, right. and I, that just for me, I never, I guess because of Bissonette and stuff, what he ingrained in me was like, get out there and start logging pilot hours. You need to be on the kit. You need to be in the, you know, this is back when you could be in a club and play four or five nights a week. That doesn't right. really exist anymore, but you could do that back then. You yeah. need to be playing five nights a week, making money, making mistakes, learning, you know, and I just, it didn't appeal to me to like, let's rehearse every night and then maybe for a gig that might happen five months from now. Right. <laughs> I wanted to be out per- performing and, 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 and being able to sustain myself doing it. Yeah. And so I thought, yeah. uh, you know, we all do. I, you know, I still teach a little bit. So teaching lessons, gigging, working part time in a music store, that's mm-hmm. all I've ever really done. And um, and that's all I did up until the point of, uh, you know, coming on board here at Aquarian 23 years ago. Right. So how did the opportunity to uh, join Aquarian, not just Aquarian specifically, but to, to just enter the world that you're, you're in now, working on the product and artist relations, all that. How did that opportunity present itself and, and what made you want to say yes to it? Uh Life is a great motivator. <laughs> so I've, I, I recently become married and um, kids 
started to come on the way. Mm-hmm. And this is something Roy always hit on. And I had to start assessing myself. And, you know, for me, it was like, I need to be able to really provide for my family in a way where I wasn't panicky. Right. And that led into, I need to, what can I do, still music related, that might give me a more regular schedule, because mm-hmm. I'm a whole body in a way anyway, I think. Yeah. So a more regular schedule, more regular benefits pay, you know, home on the weekends, home at night, that kind of thing. And I just started sending out resumes, and it just it just clicked here at Aquarian. Roy, for whatever reason, liked my resume. I'm still not sure why. I asked him many times, you know, before he passed away, like, what what was in there that, you know, because he was old school, and he had a very, you know, high bar and in a in a his BS meter was pretty high too. So yeah, yeah, you know you you really had to click with him, you know, to, 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 to get in and, um, something must've clicked. I don't know. I I just got lucky. I'm not sure, but he, he liked what I had to say in the resume and I, he called me and he says, you know, there might be something here for you. You want to come in and interview? And I did. And a few days later goes, the job's yours. If you, if you want it. Wow. And then that was 23 years ago. And what what was the job? Did you have like an entry level sort yeah, of thing? Yeah, no, or? no, no. It was artist relations slash sales. So you've been in the same job for twenty three years. Well, yes, and it's it's morphed because we're a smaller company, so we don't have levels of management and departments and infrastructure. Mm-hmm. You know, there's you know, in, there's very few of us here doing a great many tasks. So it's not just artist relations or sales it's that plus you know marketing plus international sales plus right. you know you name it yeah yeah well, i think that's, and we that's all true out here it's not just me everybody yeah. here does a, a uh, uh as jordan schlansky would say on the conan show i do varied and sundry tasks <laughs> uh, <laughs> right, uh, right and but we have to we don't have the luxury of of being compartmentalized too much. I think that's true for a lot of um, drum companies, and and you, you know more about it than I do. And I know that there are a couple companies who who genuinely have you know an army of of people working in in various positions. But um, my experience in dealing with you know most of the companies that I've endorsed and most of the companies that I've had relationships with is like it is a shockingly small number of people running you know, these international brands. That's a hundred percent correct. Even, even quote unquote, some of the bigger companies, the core people yeah, that are getting stuff done, that core isn't an army. Yeah. yeah. It's like one hand. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah, really. Yeah. It's, it's, um, you know, it's crazy, but I know a lot of other artists guys in the industry industry who have assistants and whatnot. And I'm like, how do I get one of those? <laughs> you know, that's pretty yeah. cool. Yeah. Um, so put we're not an, put up an ad at USC. Yeah, just find, right. find yourself an intern. Interns, interns. You don't. Yeah, so, you don't have to pay them anything. We're not quite at that level, but uh, but yeah, that's not unique to Aquarium. In most companies, I think people are multitasking and, and doing uh, a lot of of tasks that may not fall under their job title, and that's fine. I I never shun from that because. 
to me, that was growth and learning learning experience, and it makes you more valuable. If you're just a one-trick pony, well, like, well, all I do is artist relations. You know, in this job in the job market, you wanna you know as a working drummer, you need to know Pro Tools and you you need to know how to record and you need to know how to edit video, and if you're just gigging and hitting the drums, and that's great. There's nothing wrong with that, but the more you know arrows you have in your quiver the better off you're going to be right yeah yeah absolutely and in in your case i mean the better off your company's going to be it's not in 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 the case of someone like me you know pretty much the only person that those consequences affect is me and my wife but the more things you can do in your position the better off it's going to be for your company at large it helps everybody yeah it yeah. helps the employee it helps the employees and the company in general that's for sure Right, right. Hey, let me ask you a question. Okay. Um, you did a clinic recently with with uh, some good Aquarian folks, Ben Hans and Jared Pope, and yep. your partner Matthew Kraus. I wasn't there. I saw some video, but I heard it went great. How was that? It did. It did go really well. Um, Matthew and I are uh, working on on putting together um, a masterclass of sorts. Um, that is discussing, um, you know, just kind of a presentation and a, and a discussion of a few of the major themes that keep, uh, you know, popping up over the 250 plus interviews we've done. Um, and Lane Music in Nashville was was good enough to give us an opportunity to just kind of take that idea for a dry run. Um, and we did. It went really great. Uh, Jared, you know, gave a clinic and played his ass off, as did uh, Jeff. Um, and, and Ben hands was, you know, just super helpful in, in facilitating the whole thing. Um, so it went really well and we're hoping to do more of it. Um, you know, uh, of course with the, the, the kind support of companies like Aquarian, um, and, you know, before I go any further, I want to, I want to just thank you for all the support that you've given the podcast since since the beginning practically i mean i think you were the you know the first company that that i approached about um you know doing some advertising doing some sponsorship uh furnishing some prizes, prizes. for giveaways yeah. or whatever and and just you know from from minute one you were like yes absolutely whatever you need so we really appreciate uh the support you've given the podcast no we're glad to help to be able to help in any way and yeah, I just I just heard that clinic was really cool. I saw some video clips and and I knew you guys, all you guys, the Aquarian guys slayed it. So yeah, it was a good day. It was a good day for and Aquarian. that's cool. I like your approach on that is to take all these interviews and podcasts that you've done and you know kind of uh, you know like on a spreadsheet you you're doing analytics and what are the common themes here? What are, what do we see reoccurring and kind of encapsulate that and use that is yeah. a, a basis to educate and speak about. That's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. So we're uh, we're going to try to develop it some more and, you know, shop it out to um, colleges or music stores or something like PASIC or, um, you know, just kind of have a, another arm of, of uh, what we do with the podcast here. Yeah, I think that's a good idea. Talk about um, how Aquarian as a company and as a product has uh, evolved since you came on board. Oh, geez. You know, well, the initial, you know, this is before my time, but 
initially it was just accessories. And then years before I started here, in the mid to late 90s, heads, they started making heads. And then, you know, since I've, here, since I've been here, we've had a change in how the heads are made. I think right before I started, they were still using a, a rolled crimped aluminum hoop. Mm-hmm. And then I think shortly before I started, the, the, the rectangular squared shape hoop became standard. And then we've had some different coding iterations and one change in the actual mylar film itself. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are some of the, you know, I think the bigger changes. Right. And then there's always little smaller things like versions of heads and different configurations of plies and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But those other ones would be the bigger ones. And then one of the biggest ones would have been, you know, the in-head, the, the real drum head that's an electronic trigger using FSR. That was that was pretty heady stuff. Not our technology. Pun intended. Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, that wasn't our technology. That was Mario... Uh, alternate mode that was their technology the fsr was the trigger uh, material that's used in the drum cat you know right we all remember the drum cat uh, sure you know the, it looked like mickey mouse ears <laughs> pads but those are still i mean that that product was so ahead of its time that matter of fact somebody was in here yesterday visiting and they were like i still have my drum cat and that thing is still going strong and it's still can outperform some of the electronic stuff that's on the market now. It's still a beast. <laughs> so th- that was that's a great. big that was a big thing. A, a real drumhead that incorporated that sensing material. Um, that was a pretty big thing that occurred in my are tenure you, here. Are you still making those? Yeah, we are. Um, I think Mario's working on some new technology as far as how those heads interface uh, with the module at the beginning those heads required a conditioning a signal conditioning box for each head which was mounted somehow on this on the drum yeah and i think now he's got a universal hub that everything plugs into and then maybe has a usb or um uh midi out yeah yeah that's a huge huge thing yeah um and so we're going to kind of relaunch i think maybe at some point around that new uh, box hub slash hub yeah yeah that's cool um how has uh aquarian sought to to position itself you know in relation to the other drum companies or in in relation to the other drum head companies um, and in the drum world in general, I mean, is, is, I, I know there's a, you know, sort of an intentional ethos about Aquarian. Um, talk about that a little bit. Well, Roy's philosophy was, I mean, you, you can't bury your head in the sense. You, you have to be aware what the other companies are doing, but it can't be something that keeps you up at night and you're constantly. So Roy's thing was always like, we know what we need to do. And we know what drummers want, you know, and and we want to give them those sounds 
and those products that help them achieve that thing in their head, that sound in their head. And, you know, past that, we didn't want to be chasing our tail, chasing the other companies. Granted, there's parity between all the companies. Mm -hmm. Every company has their single ply 10 mil head. Right. There are two ply, two seven mil. So there's some parity there, some, some common, you know, ground between all of us. But then all three of us have products that the others don't. And, um, products that are unique to each company you know obviously we have our super kicks and that was an industry leader right uh, and it's been copied and you know but it's still you know often imitated never duplicated right yeah yeah and so that's still popular we've had we have unique snare heads things like high energy uh, you know we have the reflector series which has been a big hit mm-hmm. um the vintage line of heads, which is expanded to include thicker double ply versions. Um, yeah, that, so that seems like that seems like something that is that is not really duplicated among the other companies. Yeah, a little bit. I mean, I, obviously, the fiber skin I think existed before uh, the vintage line, but we do right. it a little different. Ours is achieved via a coating. Uh, the th- slightly thicker coating, right, right, uh, as opposed to material that's laminated to mylar. Yeah, um, yeah. The 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 modern vintage series um, is when I say there's there's nothing like it in the other with the other companies. I mean, you mentioned the fiber skin, but the fiber skin is just a sort of more mellow tone. Like I think of the, I think of the. Um, modern vintage series as like vintage but aggressive you know that's a good way that's a good way to to look at i mean roy's whole thought on that was and and that uh, that's also where our squared aluminum hoop comes into play Mm -hmm. his whole thought was to capture what was it about those old heads the calf heads excuse me so part of it was the hoop those heads were tucked around a wood rectangular wood hoop yeah and that's where that shape came from and then you know so the the vintage heads the coloring of it obviously is meant to sort of harken back to a you know a yellowed aged calf head and then the the slightly thicker unique coating the dampening effect of that a little bit more of a mellow sound but not obviously it's not going to be as mellow as uh a real calf head yeah I, you know I, you know I, i'm not sure most drummers would even want that in this day and age so you're right, right. The, the, the vintage heads are a little little more aggressive yeah yeah the, are you still um for for a, a while like a few years ago you the aquarian was kind of doing a, a hashtag kick and snare thing um, well yeah we we might revisit that and this goes back to some of our popular heads we're kind of known for unique kick heads and snare heads. So we have the super kicks and the impacts and snare wise, things like the high energy, the New Orleans special, the Dijonette heads, you know, now there's uh, coated reflector snare heads mm-hmm. and the triple threat, the only three ply, which that head is amazing. Yeah. Uh, because whatever, preconceived ideas you might have about a have about a three ply head i think that 
that triple threat actually dispels all that. That head is really interesting yeah. as far as what the sensitivity and the different levels you can get out of it as far as a looser tuning, mid tuning, and even cranked a high right, tune. Right, right. I hope you. We're uh, kind of known for our kick in heads and our snare heads. Right, and I hope you do revisit that because you know obviously it's it's um, alluding to um, the 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 heads you're known for, the heads you do well, but it also alludes to, like I said, just kind of the ethos of Aquarian, um, and and the ethos of of you know working drummer podcast. It really resonated with me because I remember you uh, talking with you about it, and you said you know, the, the kick and snare is where we spend most of our time. Like those are the most important voices on the kit for most working drummers. And, you know, we're, our, our Tom heads are going to sound great. There's, you know, lots of different options and sounds and they're all great. Um, but we're putting our focus on the, the voices on the kit where working drummers spend 90% of their time. Um, and it just struck me as a very workmanlike sort of blue collar ethos, kick and snare you know well that's that's the meat and taters right yeah man yeah Um, when you get obviously in pop rock that is integral to those kind of styles of music but you can even make the case for jazz i know a lot of times you know you'll hear well pop rock is bottom up kick snare jazz is top down ride cymbal but even roy you know would make a case that going way way back in the day of jazz no even that was still kick and snare yeah so guys weren't necessarily comping and chattering so much with the snare drum with the left hand you know a lot of that early big band stuff that bass drum wasn't even necessarily being feathered right you know there was eighth notes or quarter notes being played underneath you know to fill things out and you, you're chopping wood, so you're hitting those backbeats. So yep. a lot of that jazz music was still bottom up. It wasn't just ride cymbal and nothing underneath. This episode is brought to you by DrumSellers.com, the niche marketplace where drummers, drum retailers, and drum manufacturers buy and sell their gear. List your drums for sale for free, and the only fee is 4% if it sells. Simple. Check out all the new used vintage and custom drum eye candy at drumsellers.com. Talk about Roy's legacy a little bit, because I, I only got to meet him a few times um, while I was in L.A. And, and then when I moved to Atlanta, um, he died not long after that. But talk about his his place in the in the drumming world as a player and as a, a product developer. He and he and Ron used to love when guys like you, you would come in and other guys because you're taller than me, <laughs> and they got a they got a big kick out of that. So I'm six three. Well, you're like six five, right? Yeah, six, if I if I stand up straight, yeah. Right, you're six five. So they always Roy would get a big thrill, and Ron, they you know like you'd leave, and they go, "Hey, Chris, that guy's taller than you." <laughs> but Roy, I mean, I Roy's legacy is is pretty pretty deep i can't there's only really and and i don't want to if i forget somebody in the industry i don't want to this is not disrespectful it's just because it's maybe escapes my mind or i'm ignorant but there's really only a couple of guys in the industry to me 
that went super, super deep and paralleled each other, and that would be Roy and Vic Firth. Mm. And I, I mean players at a high level. Right. Other companies have players, not on those guys, not on their level. I mean, they made it. To, those guys made it to the Super Bowl. Yeah, right? yeah. They were the pinnacle of their eras, you know. Vic with the as Bill players, Trump, like as players, yeah, yeah. I mean, high level players, right? Recognized in the industry as the best of the best, right? So they had that educators. Vic and Roy writing instructional books that are still used to this day. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so that would be educators, authors. I mean, again, authors in that Roy's articles for Modern Drummer, which are are timeless and really can apply to any walk of life, not just drums or music. Um, than their roles as manufacturers and businessmen. And I really can't think of anybody that ticks off all those boxes. Mm-hmm. You know, I just saw Vinny Kaliuta do a master class of, I don't know, three or four months ago. And I got a chance to talk to him briefly. Myself and a few of my buddies went, and we were all in a little group there talking to him. And, and I told Vinny, I said, you know, Roy knew what a fan of yours that I was, and he loved telling me the story of a young junior high or high school Vinnie Kaliuta going to a Roy Burns drum clinic. And Vinnie was like, oh, that's right. He remembered that? And I go, yeah. <laughs> and he went backstage, and Roy spent some time, maybe 20 minutes with him, and they just chatted drums. And so in Weckl, I mean, you could watch that um, uh, Dom Famularo session studio i forget what he calls it session players it's it's basically a video interview he does with right right great musicians and weckle talks about roy the big bad and beautiful cd that came with the book mm-hmm. and how that was instrumental very helpful for dave to learn how to kick figures and play with the big band and so gad you know I know. Uh, I think Roy did a clinic at Eastman when Gad was a student there. So wow, Roy touched all those guys. You know, he had an impact on all those guys. Yeah, probably. You know, the first drum clinic they would have ever experienced would have been Roy. So his his, you know, the roots go real deep, and and with a lot of guys that we are that we're fans of, mm-hmm. you know. Guys, you're my age any, anyway. <laughs> I, don't, I don't, you know, I think teenagers and twenty-somethings have different influences. And they, they might include ours too, but there may be a crop of guys that you and I don't know or not. Mm-hmm. You know, but for our heroes that you and I grew up with, Roy had a an impact on all those guys. Yeah, and yeah. impact on, educa- on, on education and the concept articles, and and then with this company, so. It's pretty heavy, and we take it very seriously. We take it to heart. We we always want to keep that legacy and his a lot of his thought processes and what he wanted to do accomplish. We always right. keep that in mind, you know. And in, in terms of Roy do kind of thing, you know. Right. I was I was going to ask. I mean, in terms of that, you know, with with Aquarian going forward and and with Roy recently gone i mean what is the uh you know what is the guiding principle that you're sort of navigating with that that roy left you with oh i think our sort of guiding principle and mission statement is 
we want to make products that help the drummer realize his vision. Mm -hmm. Help him make music. Because Roy was always about put the music first. Yeah, yeah. Do that. And this, I can dovetail this back into the artist thing. Artists get too caught up into being an endorsers. Yeah. That becomes an end goal. And Roy always would tell guys, and he's on tape, he's on video saying this, we can't make you famous. You have to make your career. If you're looking for a company to bring you to the forefront and make you into something, that won't happen. Mm. You have to do it. And then we can jump in and there could be some synergy there. Uh, but his thing was always put the music first. And when you do that, things will fall into place in in the, the appropriate time. And it will make sense, meaning the cart not before the horse. Right, right. And then so that's kind of the way we look at it. We want to make products that help drummers make music and realize their their vision that they have in their head as far as what things should feel like, what it should sound like, help, helping them to achieve their own sound. Right, right. I think that's a that's a sound philosophy for, for everyone, whether it's a, a big company like Aquarian or just an individual drummer who might be listening. Like, put, put the music first and put everything in place around that. I mean, I, I remember, and, I, you know, times have changed and I get all that, but I... I I recall distinctly playing in clubs and never once would it have occurred to me that, you know, a lot of people say, well, I play X amount of dates per year. Well, okay. So, <laughs> but what? <laughs> right. Especially in this day and age. So what? I mean, I, I played tons of dates back in the day because you could play four or five nights a week and right. I was working. Well, I was supporting myself doing it. Never once did it pop into my head. Gee, I play a lot. I should approach companies for an endorsement. <laughs> you know, because yeah. I'm looking at the Vinnie Colaiutas and the Gads and the Weckles and the Tony Williams, and I'm like, well, you got to be that guy to get an endorsement. You know, right. and I certainly wasn't that guy, so it never would it have occurred to me to like reach out to a company and go, hey, I'm a, I play a lot of dates per year and I play in front of a lot of people. Right. But that's even become the criteria now, and it's a good boy. Right. Well, and when you were looking at, you know, Weckle and Vinny and those guys, it, it wasn't their endorsements that you wanted. It was their life <laughs> that you wanted. It was like it was their playing that you aspired to, not not their, uh, you know, business relationships necessarily. I, I never cared about the gear that deeply. Yeah. That never, you know, uh, I'm a little OCD, so I can get how you can go down a gear rabbit hole. Sure. Because... I know you you dig kitchen knives. You got all those crazy shun knives, right? That's <laughs> Dude, what, if I know. if I spent half as much time, you know, like thinking about drum gear as I did about kitchen gear and if you know, like yeah, I I spent a lot of time in there. <laughs> yeah, but and that's cool. And there and, and there's drummers that really go down those rabbit holes with gear and they love the finishes. I can say that never really was a predominant goal of mine for me it was always the music mm -hmm. and, and 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 getting engrossed and getting off of what the drummer was doing and i don't mean necessarily amount of notes right. i could go see jeff picaro or carlos vega and get just as juiced up as going to see Vinny the next week 
just doing what you know we all love you know right Vinny doing the Vinny stuff Uh, and Vinny's an amazing of course we know super deep groove pocket um but I could get excited both ways Mm -hmm. Uh, but never I never went to those clubs and went like gee what what kind of pedal is he using what ride symbol is that Right, that right. That wasn't preoccupying my mind when I'm sitting there watching them play. It was just like, how is he doing that? What's the body motion? Is that sort of an amended French grip? How, right. how, is, he, how is he getting in that sound? Oh, and what's his what's his thought process? Like, yeah. what, is, what has he been listening to that arrived him at this? You right. Know? I'm right. thinking about my own experience in this in this regard, and you know, like Bill Stewart and and Keith Carlock and Peter Erskine and um, you know Steve Gadd are among my guys, and the fact that they're my guys doesn't have much to do with the fact that they all play Zildjian cymbals. Like, I'm a Sabian guy. It's you know the the gear that they're playing, um, like you like you're saying, never held much. Um, you know, a, a lure for me in terms of wanting to make music the way they make music. Yeah, it wasn't an overriding thing like researching shun knives, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> like, yes, did I get my first real drum set because of Vinny and it was a young yes, you bet. But it, it wasn't it wasn't the overriding thing and it wasn't the end goal. Mm-hmm. It, it's, those are just tools to help you do something else, you know. Right. And I and think Aquarian Aquarian drum heads are a tool and tools. you want to make great tools for people. And I think all the great drummers that we like or or at least a fair amount of them are drummers that are making great music. Yeah. That's their end goal. And the drums are a vehicle for them to be in a band and communicate with the band members and make some magic happen. Yeah, you know, but for a lot of we know a lot of guys, and, and God bless them because we need them. We need people to buy gear and buy yeah. instruments. <clears throat> Excuse me, but a lot of drummers, you know, they're they're just they can become myopic in the well, this pedal and the chain drive and this ride cymbals, you know, not washy enough, and and at the bottom of the at the end of the day. Vinny or or whoever Bill Stewart or even some of the young the newer guys you know like uh, Chris Coleman or Lar- Larnell Lewis or whoever wh- whatever drums they're gonna sit behind they're gonna sound like them right and it's not gonna be predicated on the gear or it's not gonna be gear there's not gonna be a gear necessity to make that happen. Yeah, you know, yeah. Gad can sit down on your drum set, and he's going to sound like Gad. Right. And you're going to sit down behind Gad's kit, and you're not going to sound like Gad. Right. And you could even play the same little licks, and it's not going to sound like him. Yeah, yeah. There's, you know, the the comedian uh, Bill Burr. Oh yeah. I've I've told this story a couple times, but he's like a weekend warrior drummer, and, yeah. And and Bonham is his guy, and he told this story on on uh, on an interview where he was like, you know, I just I wanted to sound like Bonham so bad, you know, I just I got all the gear, I went out and got the vintage uh, Vista Light Ludwig's, you know, with a 26 inch kick, and I got the vintage Peisty cymbals, I even got the same hardware that he had, and you know what I still sounded like me. Yeah, <laughs> no, that's 100 percent right, and he's. He's way into it. He studied. He studied with Mike Johnson. I think he studies with Dave Elich mm-hmm. out yeah. in L.A. So he's 
he's way into drums for sure. Yeah, I yeah. went to a Mike Johnston clinic years ago, and I sat right next to him. He he was you know well known then, obviously, but he's not the Bill Burr that he is now. You know, right, right. Um, but uh, yeah, the gear the gear you needed to be helpful and 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 support you to achieve your goals, but it's not the end all be all. Right, and it uh, doesn't make the music for you. No, I wish. Yeah, <laughs> I often right. prayed at night. Please give me some magic bullet that will make me groove like Jeff and sound like Vinny. And it never happened. There was right. no, you know. Well, it 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 doesn't doesn't happen for any any of us either. So no, you it's know. it's not it's not a, it's not a thing. But um, but we do want to make you know it. You don't want to fight your gear either. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you want your drums to tune up easy. You want your cymbals to feel great. You want your heads to sound and feel great and the sticks to feel, you know, vibrant and, and alive in your hand and all that stuff. Yeah, and yeah. That, you know, you, you don't want to fight your gear. Right. <laughs> but I think it was a Peter Erskine. I want to say it was a Peter Erskine interview in Modern Drummer or some thoughts he had where he basically, and if I'm getting this wrong, I'm sorry. He, he, he either had a revelation that he should be able to sit down on any kit within reason and still play comfortably. Mm-hmm. You know, drummers, have you seen like, oh, oh man, can I sit in? And then they're adjusting everything. Right. Because the hi-hat, my hi-hat's usually uh, an inch higher than this and, and about a quarter of an inch closer to the snare. Right. And I'm, you know, because of that Erskine article, I'm like, really? That's, that that little half an inch is going to throw your whole game off, right? So I've always kind of tried to embrace different setups. If you go to a rehearsal studio, within reason, I try to leave it just as it is. Can I make it happen the way this is set up? And if I can't, then it started to scare me. Like, is me playing music well totally determined by having it, my kit has to be the way it always is? Otherwise, right. I'm throwing off my game. I never wanted that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, man, I want to I want to thank you for talking with me, and uh, and I also want to just thank you for being such a, a great supporter of of the podcast and of of my career. Aquarian was the first endorsement I ever got. Um, is close to ten years ago now, I think. Um, and what you talked about, uh, you know, relationships and, and, uh, the recommendation of someone, uh, you know, meaning the most to you, you, you practice what you preach because Jimmy Ford walked me into, into Aquarian one day and and introduced me to you and said, this is Zach, you should make him an endorser. And you just were like, well, okay, great. (laughs) Going back to what we said, Jimmy is family and he's been an endorser and he's well loved here and in good standing and his recommendation was you know i knew he wasn't going to bring any turkeys over right so it's like zach should be on the team too and i was like okay done (laughs) it was it was the easiest endorsement i ever got um and you know like i said my longest standing and uh you know any uh and anyone in your job who isn't trying to do it like you is doing it wrong as far as i'm concerned and i brought you aboard notwithstanding the fact that you're an inch or so taller than me i know i know i I I had a strike against me from the minute i walked in the door one for the team (laughs) right 
You well, were, I, you know, I, I know your thought process. You like, you saw me walk in the door, and you were like, "Oh, Roy is just going to give me endless shit if I sign this yeah, guy." <laughs> that's pretty much it. <laughs> but no, I want to, I want to thank you and and Matthew and the Working Drummer Podcast for for asking me. I'm always a little surprised when I've done a few of these now, and I'm always a little shocked when people are, "Hey, Chris, you want to do a podcast?" And I'm like, "I don't, not really." I don't know what if anybody's going to be interested in what I have to say or if I have anything really relevant or impactful to say. So I'm always flattered when people ask me. They obviously are, and you you obviously do. So thanks for doing it. Well, thank you, Zach. Cheers, buddy. We'll talk to you soon. Okay. See you, brother. Thanks to Chris for that talk. It was a perfect example of why he's regarded as a total mensch in his industry. He's got a long roster of artists and entities to deal with every day, and most of their needs are far greater and more urgent than mine. Uh, But you never know it. Chris is always right there with whatever I need, whenever I need it, uh, both for myself personally and for the podcast. So big thanks and appreciation to him and everyone else at Aquarian for the great work they do. Don't forget, for a chance to win a full set of Aquarian drumheads, go to Instagram and Facebook and share our posts of this episode. We will select a winner on Thursday, February 27th. Next week, Matt Krause is talking with Toronto-based drummer and producer Creighton Doan. Hope you'll check that out, and as always, thanks for listening. Cheers. Cheers.